And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 123 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, 123, uh, over under on Giants wins this season. (laughs) I I always look forward to what you're going to link our episode number two, because it's now that we've passed uniform numbers, you can go really any direction. It's, uh, it's, It's very omnipresent. You can be so... That is not the direction I thought you would go, but hey, after they after they sweep the Rockies and they're they're six and three and yeah, why not? Yeah, no, I mean the last time we talked, it was after the the Padres series, and that was like a you know an uplifting series for the Giants. They they went into San Diego against the vaunted Padres and they came out with a series win. And you start to think, okay, okay, you know this is interesting, this is fun. Uh, then they swept the Rockies, and the Rockies aren't a great team, you know, to be charitable. They might not be very good. They might be like the worst team in baseball, perhaps. At the same time, you got to beat those teams. You're always saying that. It's a measure of a team that that how good a team is if they can handle the really bad teams. And the Giants did what they had to do. Yeah, I, I mean, that was one of my takeaways from that Rocky series is, yoy, this Rockies team is not very good. But uh, uh, and you always wonder how much of that to really sort of kind of reflect in your coverage because you don't want to sort of throw a wet blanket on um, the team you cover sweeping a series. I mean, it's always a good thing to sweep a series. But yeah, part of my takeaway was that the Rockies are kind of yeesh. Woo. Not very good. And they don't have Nolan Arenado. I mean, it's they have uh, uh, Nolan Arenado's cousin, which is like, you know, in Spaceballs where they capture everyone and they go, wait, that those are their stunt doubles. And, you know, <laughs> the princess has a mustache and stuff like that. That's sort of like how Josh Fuentes, you know, solid major leaguer. Don't get me wrong, but it's not Nolan Arenado. There's only one Nolan Arenado. And somehow he's with Paul Goldschmidt, uh, which is kind of terrifying if the Giants and Cardinals meet up in another NLCS one of these years. But the Rockies are bad. They're exceptionally bad. They hit at Oracle Park like uh, a backup catcher. And that's not hyperbole. I, I Last year, I ran the numbers. I added up all their, their games at Oracle Park, and they hit like a backup catcher under 300 on base percentage, no power, low average. I mean, you've seen it year in, year out. Uh, but there are some years where they come in and they take a couple games. And it, it that that should drive Giants fans nuts because these are supposed to be the gimmies. Yeah, the Giants put out a stat that said it was the first time that the Giants had swept the Rockies at home since 2017. And I 
I thought, really? I I would have thought it was like last Tuesday, um, <laughs> even though even though they didn't have him on the schedule. Uh, but uh, it also seems a little bit cruel that you take away Nolan Arenado from the Rockies, and yet the Giants still get to keep Alex Dickerson against the Rockies because <laughs> this is turning into some reverse mojo. I mean, Alex Dickerson is. Just he thumps the Rockies. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, we're we're so giant centric, or at least I am, uh, that I forget how other teams view players like that. And I, it doesn't occur to me, you know, other than than when they mention on the telecast that they must look at this guy and go, "Come on, come on!" Like you know, like I used to back in the day with Scott Harrison. I, every time I'd see him, it's like. On. Why this guy? Are you serious? And, and that must be how the Rockies feel about Dickerson. What would be great is every time Alex Dickerson homers against the Rockies, he stands in the batter's box and like thrusts a fist to the sky like he's Skeletor and says, Spielborgs! <laughs> Avenging Spielborgs. I like it. Yeah. All right. So here's his, his stats against the Rockies in his career. 112 plate appearances. He's hitting 406 with a 464 on base percentage. Eight home runs and a 772 slugging percentage. Uh, that's ridiculous. I mean, obviously, the, the, he actually hits the Mariners a little bit better by OPS and the Blue Jays, but they don't play each other 18, 19 games a season. He's doing it to the Rockies for chunks of his season. Yeah, and he, he told a cool story earlier this year because he hit that pinch homer on opening day that got the Giants even in the ninth, uh, obviously didn't end up being able to celebrate it in a win. But he said that, you know, he grew up in a military family and they were stationed all over and there was a time that his family lived in Tacoma, uh, or I think it was Tacoma, somewhere in, in uh, the Puget Sound region. And so he was a Mariners fan. He was a Ken Griffey Jr. fan. And, and for him to hit a homer in that ballpark was kind of a big deal for him. So, you know, we know that he grew up in San Diego. We know about the San Diego connections, uh, you know, uh, playing with uh, Brett Bochy and, you know, uh, those kind of guys. But, but yeah, his, his uh, baseball sort of fan days... Uh, started in uh, Seattle, Seattle area. So it was a big deal for him to homer in, 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 uh, at Safeco Field. And that was cool to hear. Yeah, no, he, he's starting to look uh, pretty solid at the plate. The offense is going to come around, I, I believe, at, at one point. I'm not worried about the offense. So if you're not worried about the offense, and it's still early, if, if you don't think that Mike Yastrzemski and Austin Slater are broken, which I don't, you have to just focus on the pitching because if the Giants can pitch like this, just, you know, I know it's the Rockies in San Francisco, but DeSclafani looked like he did when he was an ascending pitcher, a pitcher the Reds were counting on. And one of the reasons the Reds were a, a trendy candidate to take the NL Central last year was because of of how DeSclafani could pitch. And he's throwing mid-90s. He's, he's getting weird, funky, great movement on these pitches. He's hitting corners. He's missing bats with his breaking balls. I mean, he just looked good. I know it doesn't have to last, but it's what you would want to see, right? It's pretty remarkable as sort of taped together as this rotation looked at the beginning of the season or at the outset. You know, you had a couple guys who barely pitched in exhibition games like Aaron Sanchez. We didn't see a lot of Kevin Gossman. You really wondered just what kind of length, what kind of stability you were going to get from this rotation. And now they're in a position where not only is the rotation pitching so well, I believe their ERA is the third lowest in the majors, uh, you know, through the first nine games, but you've got Alex Wood coming back probably in the not too distant future. He's going to 
make one more start at the optional site that we know of. And then after that, they're going to reevaluate. And what if they decide that Alex Wood is ready to take a rotation spot? And now the right-handed relief, that's a little bit of an issue for the Giants early on. What if, you know, you could move Logan Webb into that spot and just pat him on the butt and say, throw your change up as many times as you want. Don't worry about being predictable, you know, the second or third time through the lineup because we can use you in relief. Or maybe Aaron Sanchez could be used in that role if they decide that uh, it's a good way to build him up. So, I mean, they have some good problems right now with the rotation. And really at the outset of the season, you just wondered how many bad problems they would have. Right. And it's not being able to or have to rely on Alex Wood. I think it's always the plan. I mean, that's the Giants don't sign Alex Wood and say, all right, you know, 32 starts, 180 innings. Let's go get him, Tiger. Like, come on, you know, that's not going to happen. This is built in. He's going to have issues with his back. You just want him to give you something, a few starts, a few innings. That's what you're paying him for. But it's really remarkable how the rotation is functioning without him. I mean, it's almost like he's an afterthought. And that's not fair to him because when he comes back, you know, he's probably going to be pitching at the level the Giants were hoping. But you're not worried about him. You're not going, gosh, you know, what are the Giants doing right now? Because Sanchez is pitching well. Disclafani's pitching well. You know, Kevin Gaussman's pitching well. He's got the lowest strikeout rate in the rotation. I don't think that's going to last. And you're right. When Wood comes back, maybe Logan Webb, his future might not be in the bullpen, but he could definitely be a weapon out of there. Yeah. And, you know, to, to be fair, uh, they, they caught the Padres mostly without Tatis. Uh, the Mariners, I, I don't think, are, are, are one of the better offensive clubs in the league. Uh, we know the Rockies are not one of the better um, offensive clubs really in, in all of baseball when it comes to playing in San Francisco. So the Reds are coming in and, and they have scored more than eight runs a game. And uh, they're, you know, they, I think they, um, they, they got, uh, they cooled off a little bit in Arizona, but you know, they're, they're going to present a different kind of challenge. So it'll be interesting to see just how far this rotation can keep sort of the top spinning as, as they start to face some more robust lineups. Yeah. The Reds are swinging it. The Reds are, uh, going goofy with the bat. Uh, you have Tyler, gosh, I've never said this name out loud. Uh, Tyler Naquin, Naquin, you know what? It's so much easier when I just have to write the story and it doesn't matter how it's pronounced. (laughs) I believe it's Naquin. I think it's Naquin. Naquin. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, you know, and and they have, uh, and Suarez is hitting it a little bit. Um, Mike Moustakas is, is swinging the bat. Well, they have a, a ridiculous batting average right now. Um, Nick Castellanos is just crushing the ball, and the Reds are going to be a test of pitching. And uh, Jonathan India, too. He's a guy that the Giants could have drafted. Uh, They took Joey Bart a couple of spots ahead of him, and he's uh, the second baseman now, and he's off to a great start, too. So a very deep lineup. Um, And and some of these guys have had trouble staying healthy over their career, Nick Senzel being a, a, a good example, but... They're healthy now, and um, and they have a lot of threats. So, and it does seem like whenever the Reds come to San Francisco, you, you have like ten to eleven games. You know, it's you, you have d- uh, scoring in the double figures, uh, runs in bunches. I think it just happens to coincide that they've visited every time we've had a little mini heat wave in the Bay Area, and it's like right. it's like a weird, funky circumstance where it's eighty three de- degrees at game time. Uh, which, yes, by the way, people out of the Bay Area, that does count as a heat wave here. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's obviously not going to be that way um, uh, this time. So maybe that'll have an impact on things. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's I, I kind of think that they're almost looking forward to a game when, OK, let's get this offense going. Let's really, you know, thump a starting pitcher. Let's take an eight to one lead into the sixth inning. And then they can get Matt Whistler, a nice clean inning to try to get get right and and get some of these bullpen guys some work that haven't gotten that work thus far. And I think that would probably that would be about as well as they could script um, a series opener, I think. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's really funny, or not funny, not ha-ha funny, but it just the Giants and right-handed relief right now, they are thin. Uh, Reyes Maranta is on the 10-day IL with an elbow strain, or a forearm strain, I should say. Uh, and that leaves Rodgers in Whistler as uh, the only right-handed options in the bullpen. Uh, Rodgers is thrown two days in a row. I would think that uh, Gabe Kapler maybe doesn't want to use him today or tonight, which we're recording this on Monday. Um, so that would put a lot on Whistler's plate. Uh, they probably are, they might swap out uh, Lamont Wade Jr. for a right-handed reliever by the time you're listening to this. Uh, but it's thin. The right-handed relief is thin. Yeah, and um, you know they had a lot of non-roster invitees that they thought had good springs. Nick Tropiano, um, you know, Silvino Bracho, cast of thousands. Uh, there, there was a, a Littell in there, uh, Zach Littell. Yes. Um, Trying to remember who, who all they were. Dominic um, Leone. Dominic, don't call me Justin Leone. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you know those guys are all at the at the alternate site. So is Shun Yamaguchi. So they they liked those options at least when uh, camp broke. Uh, so you got to think that they probably still like those options now. But you know, of course, when you bring one of those guys up, you got to put him on the forty man. You got to go through all the rigmarole. It's like, uh, do I bother to get dressed, take a shower to go? I'm only going to be at the party for 30 minutes. Ah, <laughs> screw it. I won't go. So, you know, you got to go through all that stuff to get these guys on the roster. So you don't want to break glass until you have to. Yeah. And it's, it's a very, it's a full 40 man roster right now. And there isn't a lot of uh, fluff. You know, there isn't, there aren't a lot of players where you, you look at them and there are times where you see a guy's name and it's like, okay, that's, I, I don't think we should get too used to Chris Shaw. Like I can, I can kind of see where this is going. Uh, right now, it's not like that. I guess you have Sky Bolt. The Giants just claim Sky Bolt. They liked him enough to, to claim him off waivers uh, from the A's. Uh, and I guess that would be, we've seen them claim a guy and then designate him and then claim a guy and designate him. We've seen them kind of play that game. But I don't think they're they're going to be too geeked about designating any of these people for assignment. And that's going to make it tough to add another right-hander. Yeah, I felt bad. We didn't get to really learn anything about Austin Godot. In fact, we learned so little about him that I just called him Austin when his name is Ashton. <laughs> um, and and uh, the Dodgers claimed him, actually. So that, that kind of tells me something good is going on because the Dodgers, you know, don't have a whole lot of 40-man vacancies. They've got so much talent in their system. So if they're taking a guy that the Giants passed on, that's that's kind of a good sign, I think. You know, now maybe it won't be such a good sign when Ashton, don't call me Austin, Godot is hoisting the the World Series trophy uh, over his head as the Dodgers went back to back World Series and he throws a perfect game in, in the clinching game. But um, no, I guess my general point is is you know 
yeah, the, the Giants are at that point where they just don't have a lot of sort of flushable pieces at the back end of their 40-man roster. And that's the progress that they had hoped to make because that, that's sort of what they tackled first, uh, trying to just beef up the organizational depth. And, you know, if, if uh, Elliot Ramos forces his way on this roster eventually, he's another guy they'd have to make a 40-man space for. So, um, you know, again, good problems to have, but uh, uh, it does challenge your uh, ability to manage the roster. The early reports out of Sacramento are that Elliot Ramos is continuing to uh, smack the ball all around the ballpark. Uh, he made a great diving catch over the weekend as well. He is looking like someone who might be up sooner rather than later if he keeps hitting, but especially because none of the Giants outfielders are hitting right now. Dickerson, to some extent, you know, he's got a couple of home runs, but uh, Slater, Yastrzemski, uh, Jabone, they're not hitting. And at one point, do the Giants just snap and say, we need to try something and, and figure out if, if this is the right piece that's going to get the offense going? Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I think that they realize that these are good hitters. They have good approaches. Um, they're not going to overreact to a small sample. I do think that they could do some lineup tweaks here and there. I think that it's going to be really interesting to see how they sort of gravitate away from, you know, being all right-handed against a lefty or being all left-handed against a righty as some players maybe enter little hot streaks and show that they deserve a, a bigger role. I mean, that Brandon Crawford, I mean, do you really want to sit Brandon Crawford against anybody right now? So, um, you know, that I think is going to be interesting. But again, you have to have guys who get hot and, and, and can't be taken out of the lineup. And, and right now they kind of have the opposite going on. Um, the power is obviously there. If the power wasn't there, then this really would be a, a bleak situation offensively to start the season. But, uh, you know, we saw it last year. We saw that what made them so good was getting the leadoff guy on uh, to start an inning, uh, getting rallies going, getting pitchers in the stretch, uh, uh, taking pitches, working counts. And um, I do think as they as they get into the season and get into the flow, I think some of those approaches are going to lead to better results. I have been asked a couple of times if I'm worried about Mike Yastrzemski, and I, I am not. And... Part of the question when it's posed is, well, he's never he's never struggled like this. And I, I, I correct these people. I say, no, no, he has struggled uh, like this before. I know because the second we hit publish on our collaboration, uh, our Mike Yastrzemski article, he went into a tailspin of tailspins. He hit 136 with a bunch of strikeouts and one walk and 25 plate appearances. Like he was broken immediately after we published that art article. And I think about that all the time because I was very sure that we our careers were ruined. You know, I just want to point out that last year I wrote a big Donovan Solano feature. I called his brother in Columbia got his whole backstory and he's still good so <laughs> I, I that one had my byline on it the Ostromsky piece had both of our bylines on it so i think it's just science grant it's science it's you you're, you're oh, the reason not me it's me no that is a good point i never thought about that i always when people say that i jinx things i always respond with i have to be responsible for 2010 2012 and 2014 too like you can't right. have the jinxy parts <laughs> like i was doing something there whether it was a uh, I don't know, some Nafi Perez reference or something. I contributed, so I'll take both. <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, that that's clearly, it's the butterfly effect. You have to take it all. It's it's one big package. That's actually when I was, uh, for 2012, before Matt Cain's perfect game, I was supposed to go to the game. I was supposed to, they were having some uh, golf driving range, something or other, some promotional thing. And I don't know which golf club company was was going to send me out there to, to just kind of hang out and hit golf balls or whatever. Uh, but I couldn't do it. And I missed the perfect game. 
I've never seen a no-hitter in person. I've never seen a perfect game, of course, in person. And people always ask me, they say, hey, does that crush you? Like, you should have been there. And I say no, because it would have been like my bad breath who got this person to get out of their seat, who distracted Matt Cain when he was looking in the stands. Like, I I do not know. I am a firm believer in the butterfly effect. Like, I, I this is like honesty. It's not me being like, uh, you know, Fox and the Sour Grapes. I really believe that if I weren't there, maybe that doesn't happen. So the funny thing is, before Cain's perfect game, uh, the PGA Tour did have something on the field. And it was like a little... Uh, uh, pre-game, um, I, I'm not even sure what it was, but they, they recognized Dustin Johnson. Um, I think it was the U.S. Open was um, at the Olympic Club that year, if I mm. remember correctly. Or uh, Anyway, um, so Matt Cain's a huge golfer. I mean, he plays in, at, in the Pebble Beach Pro-Am every year. Uh, he just he smacks it a long way off the tee. And so they were having Dustin Johnson uh, uh, tee up a, a golf ball at home plate and then hit it into the bay. And uh, Matt Cain really, really wanted to do that. And he was pitching that day. And so he went to Brian Sabian and he said, uh, Sabes, would you have a problem if I just swung the golf club once? And uh, you got to realize for a pitcher, that's a big deal because they're so superstitious about doing anything on the day they start. And uh, um, and, and for Cain, you know, you think he's, he's locking in mentally, but this is how much he wanted to do it, that he was willing to, because <laughs> it's a big ask, you know, it's, it's like uh, you're not just asking your, your boss to for a bathroom break. So, so Sabian said, fine, but I'm going to turn my back and I, I'm not, I, I didn't see it. And so Cain went and he hit that ball. It just went, you know, just right, right up into the air. Perfect. Uh, sort of soaring drive uh, into the uh, into the over the archway and uh, archways and into the water, and then he went out and he went 27 up, 27 down. So I I'm really shocked that he didn't just like go out there at 4:30 in the afternoon before every other start the rest of his career and hit one drive into the bay because that, that's what I would have done. Yeah, how, how do you not do that? How do you not show up the five days later and like just plant a tee right by home plate and go, right. hey, this is what I have to do, just wing one into the water. Um, yeah, I forgot that that Kane did that. Uh, so I would have been on the field and my golf game is so crappy just so galactically awful that being in that orbit would have like you know like Schlepprock from those baby flintstone cartoons like i just would have dragged him down he would have given up like seven earned runs that night if i had been on the field anywhere near a golf club you know, he also probably would have duck hooked his drive and like hit somebody or something uh <laughs> maybe he would have jinxed that as well Oh, I am no golfer. I, but we shouldn't be worried about any of these guys. It's it's nine games. It, you know, anything can happen in nine games, of course. It's, it's like a cliche, but it's just so hard not to focus on all these numbers. Like you said, the approaches are good. Uh, like, like, it's not like uh, Mauricio Dubon is swinging wildly at everything. He's had a couple of rough at-bats like that, but for the most part, he's, he's kind of trying to stay within himself. Yastrzemski is chasing a lot. He, he's having a real tough time with breaking balls. But again, I, you just, you have to, it, well, I guess, trust the process. I think trusting the process is, is what the Giants should be doing right now. Yeah, I mean, that's that's uh, sort of the approach or the process. They're all kind of the same concept, right? And, and it's trusting that if you have the right approach and you are preparing the same way and... Um, you know, you you uh, um, you know, you trust yourself to be able to react uh, to pitches that you can actually do something with and lay off the ones you can't. Um, that that's that's worked. It's worked for a lot of these guys, and um, and we've definitely seen them go away from that. We even saw Tommy Listella strike out while chasing a pitch, and that happens, <laughs> I think, you know, about as often as 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 the Winter Olympics. So. Um, <laughs> 
so yeah, it's you know it's it's they're not there yet. They're not in a groove yet. But um, you know, like Brandon Belt said, they're still winning games, uh, even though they know they've got a lot of room for improvement on the offensive side. And that's, I think that's probably not only the optimistic way to look at it, but it's 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 probably the accurate way to look at it. Someone who is not struggling is Buster Posey. He is doing quite well. A couple home runs. He has six hits and twenty-four plate appearances. But your article, I think. I, touched on the most important part of Buster Posey being back uh, is that the catching is so much better this year with Kirk Sally, Buster Posey. They're solid, you know, because Sally yesterday saved a run by by blocking the uh, spike in the 55 feet away from the pitcher's mound. Uh, they look good. And I I don't think anyone who watched last season is going to take that for Granted, again, it's having steady catching is important. Yeah, it's 2 nothing in the sixth inning. The Giants ha- are, are leading. Di Sclafani's trying to get through uh, the sixth. He's got two runners in scoring position with one out, and he strikes out Josh Fuentes on a great curveball. And then he's got uh, Sam Hilliard at the plate, and Caselli calls for a curveball. And Di Sclafani absolutely chokes down on it, like you said, throws it 55 feet, uh, takes a high bounce. Somehow Caselli is able to block it. Um, keep it in front of him, keep the runners from advancing. And you think, okay, that's his value as a catcher right there. He just blocked an almost unblockable ball, and that saved a run. That is where I can see his value. But if you watch the next pitch, he called for the curveball again. And that, to me, is is the sign of, of real value um, behind the plate because that allowed Di Sclafani to keep his whole repertoire at his disposal in a huge situation. And they went up with the fastball, down with the breaking ball, up, down, up, down. And then they got him uh, not knowing where to look. They changed his eye level. And then he threw that little snapback uh, two-seamer that, that caught the front door. And and uh, and he got out of that inning. And I don't think he can get out of that inning if he can't throw that breaking ball, whether it's because he doesn't trust that his catcher will block it or that his catcher doesn't trust that he'll be able to throw a competitive pitch with it. And these guys obviously were teammates going back uh, to, to the Reds days. Um, and so they know each other fairly well. And I, I just think that there's a lot of value in that, in knowing the hitters and knowing the league. Uh, there's just so much that last year's catching group, and this is not uh, to you know uh, speak poorly of them, but they just didn't have any experience at all. Um so, yeah, to have Buster back and, and making just absolutely perfect, perfect bullseye throws to second base and uh, able to know the hitters, able to read where guys are standing in the box, just have all of that sort of institutional uh, memory and, uh, and expertise, you, you can see it's making an impact. And as, as bad as the rotation was last year, I think fourth worst in the majors in wins above average, their catchers were seven, seventh worst. And I really do think that one had a lot to do with the other last year and in a negative way. And I think one has a lot to do with the other in a positive way thus far. You know, last season and the struggles that uh, Heidemann, Trump and Joey Bart had at times uh, defensively, really made me appreciate what was going on with the Giants back in 2009 uh, with Buster Posey and Denji Molina and the idea of it's Buster, you know, it's Posey's time, it's Posey's time. And that was when you're a fan and you're looking at uh, minor league stats and you've got your cleanup hitter as a, a catcher who has a 290 on base percentage or something like that. It, it seems very obvious. Well, no, no, you take this guy out of the minor leagues, you put him in the lineup, boom, you fixed a couple problems at once. 
Uh, at the same time, the Giants were reticent to do that, and it drove me batty at the time. Uh, but what they're what they were concerned about is what if you get Posey up here and he's just a little you know a little squirrely around the plate. He's he does, he's not quite doing everything that he needs to do. And and what if we're just not able to evaluate him in the, in the way that we like we haven't seen him catch major league pitching? There's all these what ifs, what ifs, and these worries. It turns out that Posey was basically fully formed and, and like a magical catcher right out of the gate. But I I, I get what they were thinking. They didn't want to lose their security blanket, and that's what Molina was. Yeah, and um, and you know, obviously had a stabilizing impact on that team. And you know, Buster still to this day will will credit Benji for you know his sort of selflessness and how generous he was with his time and his expertise. And uh, uh, I, I think there are some ways that you can see um, Benji has really rubbed off on Buster. I mean, Benji definitely had a different personality uh, with pitchers. Tim Linscombe would say that, you know, Benji would always be there to be reassuring and to pump you up and, um, you know, to, to, to really sort of build you up when, when he sensed you were down in confidence. Buster isn't, isn't really, he's not going to butter you up on the mound. I think he's going to be positive, but maybe not as effusively so as Benji was. So they're different personalities, but they, it's the same kind of concept in, in how you can, you know, be a reassuring presence to your pitcher on the mound. And and that's, I think, really important because you 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 deal with all kinds of different personalities. And uh, in a way, you have to be a psychologist out there and know, you know, what's going to work for one guy is not necessarily going to work for the next guy. And you have to you have to get to know your pitchers, as well as, you know, like we said, the opposing hitters. And there's just a lot of um, there's a lot of institutional knowledge that can really, really benefit you as a catcher. And that's it's obviously why a lot of catchers become managers because they have that sort of, uh, they have that uh, sort of, I guess, that, that skill. And while we're on the subject of jinxes, I do have to, to point out that I was absolutely sure that Benji Molina was going to defeat the Giants single-handedly in 2010. In the 2010 World Series, I was so sure that he was going to win the World Series on like an inside-the-park home run or something like that, that I wouldn't even write about it. I didn't even write my, my jokey, dumb little McCovey Chronicles post like, aha, you know what's coming. I didn't want to put that out in the universe because I was just expecting it. I was, it, it was, that's what being a Giants fan was like. You trade a catcher away to usher in, you know, a, a Hall of Fame, a future Hall of Fame catcher perhaps. And what's the worst that could happen? And then you see him across the field on the opposing team for the first World Series in decades. And I just, I had a feeling that it was all going to blow up. I still can't, I'm still waiting for it to blow up. He's, well, maybe he's finishing his inside the park home run. But I mean, I was so sure. I was so sure. All right. Well, this has been episode 123 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. We will be back on Thursday. We will have an idea of what the Giants did against the Reds, and we'll be able to talk about it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.